0: Hey, good day everyone. My name is DJ. If we've not met, if you're visiting here today, so great that you're here. I hope it's all not too strange uh, to you. (laughs) If you uh, haven't been to church for a while or ever, um, then we're especially grateful that you're honoring honoring us with your presence today. Uh, If you're visiting for the second, third, or fourth, or eighth time or something, um, and still just kind of trying to find uh, your place here, uh, welcome to you as well. And if there's anything that we can do staff, uh, and uh, our lead team, which is our lay leadership team, to, to make you feel more connected and welcome, then we would love to do that. Please let us know. Please don't walk out the door feeling like you're disconnected um, and uh, haven't got to, to know someone. We, we would love to help connect you in. Hey, uh, uh, congrats, I just want to add my congratulations to Ash and Garth. Good on you guys. Um, that's wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, we look forward to journeying with you. Um, towards your wedding and then in your marriage afterwards. Well, um, would you think with me for a moment about a time when you did something that was so embarrassing that you just kind of wish Jesus had returned right now, even if just for a distraction, something that even when you think about it now, your heart rate goes up a little bit. You okay, Karen? Oh, <laughs> Rob's to blame. That wouldn't. That couldn't. Couldn't be true, Rob, could it? Uh, even as you think about this moment, something you did, some some occasion, something happened, where even now you kind of blush, just thinking about it, the blood rises in your cheeks. Any, anyone thinking of something? Oh, Karen. someone taking on notice, Karen, <laughs> Karen. Would you like to share, Karen? Would you like to? <laughs> there's. there's There's an in-joke over here, I can sense, there's, there's, anyway. Well, let me share with you briefly an experience that I had. Uh, Some of you know I used to be a singer, uh, past tense. Uh, Five years of of touring with a couple of different bands, and I've said before when I've talked about this a bit, sorry to um, bore you with it if you've heard this story before, but our stated mission as a band was to use music as a medium to help young people hear about Jesus. That's a great mission. It was pretty good. We, We thought it was pretty good. Well anyway, as any working live uh, muso knows, uh, sooner or later something goes wrong. Who's been there? Yeah, I see (laughs) a few hands. And for me, uh, there were many embarrassing moments over the years, Uh, but this one takes the Christmas cake, so let me just share it with you. Uh, Who's been to the southern New South Wales town of Cootamundra? Yep. Beautiful town, really painful memories. Uh, we, were, we were, our band at the time, Corazon, we'd been doing shows all week in the local schools around the area. Friday night was our big show, packed house, hundreds of young people crammed into the local school hall. And our keyboardist uh, at the time, his name was John, uh, even this detail is just a little bit embarrassing. Let me bring my uh, slides up here, let's find where they are. Uh, our keyboardist named John had this, oh, oh, there they are. Look at that, I've got no control over them, but they're there. Let me see if I can find what's going on. Oh, there it is. He had one of these, it's a keytar. Who remembers these babies? Who has never seen such an animal in their life and hopes they never have to hear one? Yep, okay. Well, actually, as it turns out, these are making a comeback. Quick quiz for those under 30. Who commonly, what superstar? Global superstar, currently, commonly uses these in her live shows. Anyone? This lady. Oh, as if by magic. Good job, Gar. Anyone recognize who that is? Lady Gaga. And I tell you what, they didn't make keytars back then like they do now. Look at that. But my personal favorite is this one. The seahorse keytar. How good is that? Well, (laughs) back in the day, they were a little less flamboyant, but not our keyboardist, John. Uh, we were all a bit crazy on stage, we had to be to kind of win over the uh, often sceptical crowds, but John particularly was high energy, a bit of a joker, and he jumped down off his main, key, main keys from time to time, grabbed his guitar, and party like it was 1984. <laughs> and then one night, uh, that was all fine, but in this particular concert in Cootamundra, John had also found this mini tramp off stage. Now, confession time, who still has a mini tramp at home? Total waste of time as an exercise thing, weren't they, right? They actually made exercise easier and therefore weight loss slower, didn't they? Because they kind of took some of the effort out of it, so you're better just running on the spot. But anyway, they're great for kids these days, not great as a concert prop, and I'll tell you why. John found this mini tramp out the back of stage somewhere. and thought it'd be fun to kind of drag it on stage, bounce up and down, playing his, his, uh, his portable Roland AXIS portable keyboard... It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. And you can see where this is going, right? So John hops off after jumping up and down, hops off to sing harmonies at the mic. Stage floor is dark, spotlights in our eyes, focus on the audience. And I totally forget that there is a mini tramp lurking at shin height just a few feet away. Now, again, you can see where this is going. Let me tell you that when you trip over a mini tramp (laughs) mid-stage there is nothing but air to grab hold of. There is nothing apart from the mini-tramp itself to break your fall. So as if in slow motion, I find myself windmilling over, uh, head over ankles, still singing head first into my mic stand, which is suddenly rocket-propelled into the audience, and I land completely spread-eagled, uh, maybe even upside down, on a fallback speaker at the front of the stage. Well, I hit the fallback speaker so hard, cables fly off, there's a rogue power lead whipping around like this. Then it gets worse. The fallback speaker that I've landed on plummets onto some poor unsuspecting audience member at the front of the stage. And just as that happens, as if it was timed, the song ends. And instead of applause... There's this collective gasp from the audience (laughs) as they witness this kind of train wreck uh, in front of them. Well, I'm kind of lying draped over the front of the stage at this stage, and there's this sort of concerned silence, and and one person, perhaps thinking it was all staged, starts clapping like this. (laughs) Well, I've got bumps and bruises everywhere, but of course I'm trying to check that this poor kid down the front hasn't got, you know, head trauma, Um, and that there's no risk of Kentucky Fried Children from the power cord, which is flying around. And it's just an awkward silence. And to my eternal gratitude and relief, our drummer does a four-count on the sticks, and we're straight into the next song. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm glad to report no one was injured that night. Perhaps my ego and I um, uh, accepted. Well, that was the first song of the night. (laughs) 24 more songs on our set list. Uh, Precisely four minutes, I'd made an absolute donkey of myself. Uh, The rest of the concert, uh, needless to say, I wasn't at my best. I reckon I put out about 20% of my normal performance energy for the rest of that night because on the inside, I was wishing I was somewhere else having root canal therapy or (laughs) my toenails plucked out with pliers or something less painful than that moment right there. I'm hoping that your embarrassing moment that you thought of a moment ago was a little less public than mine. Um, but maybe you have a story of some kind of embarrassment like that. If not, come on up and uh, we could arrange something. <laughs> but here's what I learned from that moment. I learned what my true mission was. It turns out that my mission wasn't what I thought it was. It wasn't what I said it was. It wasn't the mission statement that we had written on our website. It wasn't using music as a medium to introduce young people to Jesus, actually. It wasn't serving my audience with a great show, regardless of what happened to me or how I felt about the performance. Turns out that my mission that night was to feel good, to draw applause, affirmation to have people like my performance, and therefore to, by extension, to to like me. What was most important to me was what others thought of me. And I saw afterwards that while I had a stated mission statement, I had what we might call a shadow mission statement. A shadow mission statement is when instead of using our God-given gifts, talents, and calling for the good of others or for the glory of God, we use those God-given gifts, talents, uh, and calling for either overt or covert self-gratification, whether that's psychologically or otherwise. Our genuine other-centered calling or mission is corrupted, even subtly, to produce self-centered outcomes. Power, money, money. Greed, physical pleasure, psychological fulfillment, self-promotion. Like me that night in Kudamundra, we may not even be aware that we're being driven by deep and sometimes dark inner drivers. John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, you and I were created to have a mission in life. We were made to make a difference. But if we do not pursue the mission which God has, for which God has designed and gifted us, we will find a substitute. We cannot live in the absence of purpose. Without an authentic mission, we'll be tempted to let our lives center around something that's unworthy, something selfish, something dark, a shadow mission. Well, here's the thing that I learned that night in a mini-tramp incident. Sometimes your shadow mission masquerades as your authentic mission. As your true mission. It hides within it in such a way that sometimes on the surface it looks like we're pursuing our authentic God given mission, but deeper down we're actually being driven by pursuing these other agendas, some of which we're not even always aware of. I think that's true for us as people, and this morning I want to suggest that it's also true for us. As churches. Now let me unpack and explain that a little bit in a minute but first let's just back up a little bit. I'm just going to recap where we've come the last couple of weeks very briefly. This month we're talking about New Vine Next. What is is next for New Vine? Something that we as a staff team and the lead team have been praying about and seeking to hear from God for uh, in recent months. And we're outlining five key priorities which we think after seeking to listen to the Spirit as best we can, that we should focus on in the coming 12, 24 months, and perhaps beyond. And two weeks ago, I shared the first of those key priorities, uh, which was this, a new vision for a new season. Helen Keller, the, the uh, famous uh, author and academic who was blind and mute, she said, the only thing worse than, I guess she wrote this, she was an author, so I guess she wrote this, the only thing worse than being blind, is having sight but no vision. The only thing worse than being blind, in her view, was having sight but no vision. And so we want to bring a new vision uh, to New Vine for the next three years. And we'll do so early in 2023. And I am super excited to share that with you. But in the meantime, we want to share this month our key or strategic priorities uh, for next year and beyond. So, secondly, uh, last week, Isaac Isaac, and Libby uh, shared their second priority for the coming years, and that is that New Vine is a place where families and next generations flourish. And the key message there is that we want to see our families and our next generations at New Vine grow in number, but also grow in faith, grow in confidence in their faith, and grow into mature, well-rounded followers of Jesus. Well-rounded people and well-rounded disciples. We want families and kids to love being at New Vine. But more than that, we know it's a challenging world in which to be a child or a teenager particularly. And it's also a tough environment for parents to navigate too. And it's as challenging as ever it has been to see our kids and young people develop a deeply grounded, genuine, joyful faith in Jesus. So we want to walk alongside our young people. We also want to walk alongside our parents, partner with you, support you, help provide resources and assistance in that journey so together we can see our kids and young people and families flourish. Now let me say, I'm not sure that we've always done a great job at that, not for want of effort or intention, but we want to do better. Uh, We want to uh, help and that's why we are making it a key strategic priority for the coming years. But we also want to grow the reach of our connection to families, kids and young people in our local community. By 2025, there will be 5,000 families living within five kilometres of us here where we meet today. 5,000 families. So we will continue to focus on ministries which serve and connect uh, with our church families, obviously, but also those outside Of our church community. Which brings me back uh, today to our tale of two missions that we've started to explore, an authentic mission and a shadow mission. But let me just quickly outline where we're going with the rest of the day. We're going to try and weave together these three things, one of which we've already started working on, this idea of the shadow mission versus authentic mission. And we're going to look at a text in uh, Luke in which Jesus announces his own surprising and disruptive mission, to, to find out what we can learn from that, and how that can inform us and our mission as a church. And then we're going to uh, talk about, uh, towards the end, two more key priorities for 2023 and beyond. So that's our, that's our map. Thanks, AJ and Haley. That's our map for this morning. All right, so uh, let's now look at Jesus' own mission uh, with a little bit of help from Luke. Uh, not that Luke. Uh, the other Luke, Luke the historian. uh, From the book in the New Testament Bible, it bears his name. Now Luke was both a medical doctor, uh, but also something of a historian. And he sets out to tell the story of Jesus based on verifiable evidence, just a few decades after Jesus' life on earth. And we pick up uh, Luke's retelling of Jesus' story in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, in northern Israel, about 25 kilometers west of the Sea of Galilee. Anybody been to Nazareth or the Sea of Galilee? John, yeah? Anyone else? Possibly some people watching online. Uh, been to the Sea of Galilee, anyone? It's a, yeah, oh, wonderful. Okay, it's a great experience, isn't it, Mike? Just brilliant, Karen. Well, we pick up the story. He's, he's there in Nazareth. This is his hometown. He's been away for some time. He's just returned. And after, after a time of temptation and testing uh, down in the southern deserts beyond Jerusalem to the south. And here's how Luke records the story of what happens when he returns. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, we read in verse 14. And then it says, He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, now, actually, before we go on with the, the text, there, Jesus actually cites from two passages in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, and Isaiah 58, 6, which he kind of edits together in the way that he put, that he, way that he shares in the synagogue. That's a very good question, AJ. Um, we'll come back to that. Uh, and together, those passages say this: "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach." This a f- famous passage. Some of us here will have read or heard this many times, uh, but it might be new to you as well. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, why is everyone's eyes fastened on him? Is it just because he's kind of completed the Bible reading and he's about to, to give his sermon? Or did he leave something out? Let's do a little bit of fact-checking on Jesus for a moment. if we So if we turn to Isaiah 61, where he quotes from, looks very much the same. There's a little insertion from Isaiah 58... Um, which is an interesting move on his part. But what doesn't he say that's in this passage? He leaves out the end of that verse, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, why would this matter? Because unless you're sort of super quick with your cross-referencing, you probably wouldn't even notice the edits that Jesus is making here, but his audience would have noted These were people who knew their scriptures. Some could recite the scriptures from memory. They knew what should have come next. What does Jesus edit out? It's the bit about vengeance. Why does this matter? Why are their eyes fastened on him? Well, perhaps it's because Israel was waiting for liberation from Roman rule. Just like Ukraine today is waiting to see Russia driven out. But in this instance, by a ruler who God would raise up, a Messiah who would bring, in their expectation and anticipation, vengeance upon the Romans, these kind of pagan rulers who were oppressing them and ruling over them. They were waiting for God to pour out judgment against Rome. But it seems like Jesus is not interested in playing that game, he's not interested in pronouncing judgment or vengeance. Instead, he goes on to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, omitting the vengeance part. He announces that these parts, these particular parts that he's just read out, these parts are the parts that are fulfilled with his coming, fulfilled in his very mission that he's bringing to realization. And the next verse says, Paul spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now, uh, there's some debate amongst translators about whether that phrase, gracious words, should be translated that way or whether it should be translated words of grace or even words about grace. Um, It doesn't matter that much, although it does give an interesting perspective on what he might be saying. Instead of talking words of judgment, as his audience might have expected, Jesus speaks words of grace. Perhaps that's what's going on here. Now, often when we read this passage, when we read it, we often stop there. It seems like a good spot because up till now, the whole, you know, it was pretty nice. Uh, no one seems too upset. The religious leaders are kind of puzzled, perhaps, by his lack of reference to vengeance. But, you know, they're giving him the benefit of the doubt. In the next bit, though, things get really tense. First of all, they say, isn't this, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph? Doesn't he live three doors down at 202 Maryland Drive? Isn't he the local lad? What? And then there's this bit about the physician he- healing yourself and prophets not being accepted in their hometowns. And if we had time to unpack that, we could. But let's just move uh, to where things get really weird and a little bit tense. Down in verse 25, he says, all right, is that what we've got there? We'll, we'll pop over to the next. There we go. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, he says, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, we get confused by those names. Where, where's that? Who's that? What? The point that Jesus is making is, Elijah... This great hero prophet from the Old Testament, in the time of need and suffering and famine, isn't sent by the Lord to go and help a Jewish widow, but a non-Jewish widow. And then in the same way, Elijah's kind of protege, Elisha, uh, he is sent to uh, at a time when there were many with leprosy. The Scripture says he wasn't sent to one of them to cleanse them from leprosy, but to not only uh, a non-Jew, but in fact, the leader of the enemy army, Naaman, the Syrian. So Jesus is offering a, a short sermon here from Israel's own scriptures, but he is not now getting amens and hallelujahs. First of all, he skipped a bit about vengeance and spoke words of grace. And secondly, from these sort of Sunday school stories that they all knew by heart, He starts highlighting that even the great prophets were sometimes sent to those outside of the religious community of which they were a part. So, this is what gets them pretty hot under the tunic. So hot that they want to throw him off a cliff. Isn't he just quoting scripture? Aren't these a bunch of blokes who supposedly kind of love the Jewish scriptures, read them to their kids every night? So why would they get their linen loincloths all in a tangle about, about this? Well, here's a few key points to help us make sense of that, and I've alluded to them already. We want to tie this bit now back into the idea of authentic mission and a shadow mission. The first point is about Jesus' mission and ours. Why does this passage matter for us today? What's it got to do with us? I'm talking about Elijah and Elisha and all of that. Well, if you are or you aspire to be or you want to be or you try to be a follower of Jesus, then it seems kind of fundamental to know what mattered to Jesus. That goes without saying, doesn't it? What he valued, what he understood his mission to be. Because although we are not Jesus, breaking news, uh, we will want to replicate his own mission to the greatest extent possible and appropriate in our mission together as a church. Is that fair? Does that seem reasonable? And in this passage, at the start of his public ministry, Jesus lays out his sense of mission using uh, this text from from Isaiah. But secondly, we see here that Jesus' mission is not just the first bit. The first bit that we often quote because we kind of get it. It's in both parts. It's not just the bringing good news to the poor, the freedom of the captives, the healing of the blind, liberation of the oppressed. His mission is also found in that kind of more obscure and weird second part of this passage where the crowd get kind of heated up. And thirdly, we could say it's not just found in both of those parts of the passage, it's also in what he doesn't say. It's also in the bit that he omits about vengeance. All right, who's a little confused or lost? Here's a picture for you guys. There it is. That's an excuse just to put a cute puppy photo up. There we go. I'm a cute puppy person. So, so the really important, the key takeaway let's kind of lean into this. Uh, Let me explain. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had succumbed to a shadow mission. Instead of being a light to the nations, Israel's leaders wanted judgment on those nations. Instead of making their God known to those outside their religious community, in taking the, following the example of their own prophets, to go out and minister to those outside of their own faith, they turned inward on their own community, their own practices of prayer, worship, gathering together, and so on. And all those things in themselves are good things. But the religious elite of Israel had corrupted them by focusing on their own self-interests, their own security, their own self-righteousness, their own sense of religious separation from the rest of society. And here comes Jesus, not only refusing to speak words of judgment, but instead speaking of God's grace. And then to make it worse, he offers up these two examples from Israel's own scriptures, where the great hero prophets were specifically sent to help non-Jews. So what is it that presses the kind of nuclear launch button for his audience? It is that Jesus makes clear that his own mission is not one of judgment on those outside the religious community, but rather to bring the freedom and healing, sight, liberation and good news to those outside the religious community, not just those on the inside. The point is this. Jesus is signaling that his mission is for all people, not just those in the four walls of church or synagogue. Well, we know this, right? This is not kind of news uh, to many of us. But I want to suggest to you that Like me and the mini-tramp and like Israel and its leaders, at least in Jesus' day, New Vine itself is at danger of having a shadow mission, of succumbing to a kind of a false mission. And that mission can hide behind what seems like and are good things in and of themselves. The shadow mission that we potentially are at risk is the same one that I think is a risk for all churches today. And that is that we simply perpetuate church for church people. That we simply perpetuate church for church people. That we remain busy, caught up, worshipping, organizing, serving, volunteering, all good things. But dangerous when they become a kind of consumer Christianity, focused on us and our needs. And the barricades go up. Now let me be clear again, those are good things. And in fact, next week, AJ is going to talk about how we want to grow and build in some of those areas next year, including the depth of relationships and community and faith formation and passionate worship and vibrant prayer that we uh, want to see grow and flourish here in New Vine. But if those things are as far as it goes, if we stop there and New Vine becomes a kind of Christian clubhouse, then we may be guilty of living only a shadow mission, a shadow of what we could be and the impact that we could have following after Jesus. And that's why we've been very deliberate in framing our fourth and fifth key priorities for the coming years. And these are, firstly, that we, we love and serve and build bridges with our community. And secondly, that our facilities here become a vibrant community hub. Now, these are probably again, if you're a new viner or you've been coming for a while, these may not be news to you. You've probably, kind of seen us, talk, heard us talk about this, or seen us uh, trying to uh, take some steps in that direction, particularly during the So Loved survey, uh, So Loved series, and uh, our, through our survey and other things. Um, but we really want to. We really feel. Um, to make these a very conscious and intentional set of priorities going into 2023 and beyond alongside the others. And that leaves us one more which AJ will speak to next week. Uh, We've actually got a whole bunch more detail under these. There's there's more work to be done. We'll be developing an action plan over January, but we've got about five initiatives under each of these. But for the sake of time, uh, we'll just stick with the headlines today. And let me wrap up. Uh, quick quiz. Who recalls what happens just before uh, Jesus returns to Nazareth? What goes in the story beforehand? I made a passing reference to it earlier. It's just to check who was super alert. The temptations. Thank you. Yeah. So below um, Jerusalem in the Judean wilderness, Jesus experiences these sort of 40 days of testing and temptations. And if you look closely at those temptations... They are temptations to succumb to a shadow mission, to take up power without submission to God the Father, a crown without a cross, reign over kingdoms of the world, not the kingdom of God. But Jesus didn't succumb. And he was able to announce and stay true to his mission, not to bring vengeance on the nations, but to be light to the nations. And in doing so, he fulfilled Israel's own authentic mission which they had not our challenge this morning is this will we make the same choice will we turn away from self-centered even defensive consumer christianity to be a light to our local community by loving by serving by reaching out to by building bridges from here to the community and there's this wonderful thing about bridges is that You can travel both way over a bridge, unless it says one-way bridge. Most bridges, you can travel both ways, right? So we can travel out over the bridge. And by God's grace, others will travel in over the bridge as well. Okay. So let me just finish with this. Let me get a little personal. What's your mission? Maybe you wrestle with that question. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you've tried to kind of get a sense of it. Well, let me put it this way. What sits at the intersection of your talents, your gifts, your passions, and the needs of the world? What's that thing right there at the intersection of your gifts, your passions, and the needs of the world? Maybe... That sweet spot is your mission. Maybe you're there already. Maybe you're toiling in that space. But let me ask this second question. What might be your shadow mission? Where might your gifts and talents and passions even be turned, even subtly, towards your own self-gratification, or as it was in my case, own self-glorification, instead of towards the good of others and the glory of God? I suspect we all have a shadow mission It needs to be eyeballed and brought out into the light of Jesus. Maybe you kind of need to take that on notice. I'm not expecting um, us all to process that today. But if mine is now to preach and lead a church, may I and those around me be constantly on guard that my shadow mission doesn't become a performance or an ego trip or some sort of covertly corrupted quest for for personal gain, whether it's psychological or otherwise. And may we as a church also have the courage and the self-awareness not to succumb to the shadow of mission of perpetuating what is comfortable to us on the inside here. We yearn for our church to grow and flourish. We yearn for it to be a place full of passion and vibrancy in our prayer and our worship, a place of transformative teaching and deep community but that alone isn't our full authentic mission let's be a church that loves serves and reaches out to build bridges beyond the bounds of our own group here and in that regard let's be like jesus let me pray and then i've got a a few questions that you can take away Lord, we we love our church. Those of us who've been here for a long time have found it such a rich and wonderful place. Some of us have built really strong friendships. Maybe there's still work to be done there in helping all who are here to experience that kind of rich community inside the church. But we also know there's more to be done too in how we engage with our community. Not just our immediate community, but starting here with our immediate community. Engaging the community wherever it is that we all live. Wherever wherever it is that New Vine, kind of is represented by, people living in other neighborhoods, but particularly let us start with the kind of Jerusalem around us, and then the Judea and Samaria and into the earth. Help us to have the courage to build bridges. Help us have the courage to serve, to love even when that love isn't returned. In fact, maybe it's even returned with, uh, uh, with misunderstanding. Help us to not succumb to some kind of shadow mission, but to discover and embrace and protect our true and authentic mission, that which you have called us to in this place, in this moment in history. We pray we'd be open to the leading of your spirits, both as individuals, we eyeball these questions, and also as a church, because we know that you love. The world around us and you long for us to join you in being light to that world and we pray in your powerful name amen